You're listening to audio from the 2022 Liturgy Collective Conference, a gathering for the promotion of rest, connection, and growth. For more information on upcoming conferences, visit liturgycollective.com. Good morning. Uh, My name is Elliot, uh, the only worship preacher not named Scott at the conference. Thought that was a mistake by Tim to not go for the, find someone else named Scott to preach this morning. But um, I'm a pastor here in Nashville. Uh, It's a joy to be with you. I'm going to preach down here. Uh, I don't want the heresy guillotine to get me. uh, So (laughs) I feel much safer down here. Um, But this scene that Kevin just read for us uh, is quite the scene. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with it. I want to spend a few moments just setting it up, and then we're going to look at how the Lord deals with Elijah here. But the backstory here, for those of you that are unfamiliar, most of you probably are, but is that in the chapter right before this, Elijah has had the showdown on the mountain uh, with all the prophets of Baal, and he has won. Hundreds of prophets of Baal can't call down fire from heaven, but Elijah does. Yahweh swoops down in a, in a, a fiery display and wipes out the altars of both Baal and the Lord. And so he wins. Showdown on the mountain, Yahweh wins. And all the Baal prophets are then slaughtered by Elijah and his people. It's quite the scene. And so Elijah's riding high. Elijah quite literally has a mountaintop experience. And then at the very beginning of chapter 19, we didn't read it, but Queen Jezebel evil queen and her husband Ahab puts a bounty on Elijah's head and says, so may the gods do to me if by this time tomorrow I haven't done to you what you did to my people. Makes Elijah a fugitive. And this scene right here is meant to be, as you're kind of reading through, if you read 1 Kings 18 and you transition into 1 Kings 19, you're meant to be reading and Elijah has this mountaintop experience of 18 and this Queen Jezebel whose prophets just got destroyed by Yahweh and his God, or by Elijah and his God, Yahweh. Elijah should be riding high. Elijah should be going, who cares Queen Jezzy, like, I don't care what your threat is on my life. I don't care what you are saying you're gonna do to me. Did you see what I just did on the mountain? The reader is meant to be seeing Elijah. No one should have a higher trust in Yahweh at this point. And yet, the passage begins, how does Elijah respond? This bounty on his head from the evil queen. Look at what he says in verse three through five. He says, the the Lord tells us, then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which is in the south of Israel, which belongs to Judah. He's on his way out of the country. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's farther journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. He's terrified. When it says in there that he leaves his servant there, that's the equivalent of saying he closes up shop, he leaves his staff, he quits his job. He's literally saying, I don't wanna do this anymore. I used to work for you, Lord, and we had a great run and the mountaintop was awesome, but I'm done working with and for you now. Thank you, no thank you. And then he runs even farther into the wilderness and he's not just done with his job, he's done with his life. He asked that he might die saying, oh Lord, take away my life. 
Okay, so here's the, here's the, what the reader is meant to be experiencing. Mountaintop, Baal prophets destroyed, fire on the mountainside, Elijah's riding high, and this one little death threat from a queen who Elijah should not be afraid of has him spiraling into a depression where he wants to kill himself. This startling reversal is meant to shock the reader. No one's faith in the Lord should be higher than Elijah's. Why is he afraid of Jezebel? Why is he giving up his ministry? And why is he so depressed? In fact, this reversal, this like record scratch moment is so severe that there are critical scholars of this passage who say, whatever human being put 1 Kings together for us to read made a mistake here. Because 1 Kings 18 and 19, it's too stark. It's too fast. The, the reversal is too great. This doesn't happen to people who have this mountaintop high that three verses later could be wanting to kill themselves and close up shop and leave the ministry. This doesn't happen to people. It's far too drastic to be realistic, they say. Unless you know yourself unless you know what depression is, unless you know how fickle and faint your own heart can be, unless you know no matter what mountaintop you've been on recently, you've been on enough of them to know that they will not last, and in an instant, you can be spewing insane thoughts and words. Unless you know the power of shattered dreams, unless you know the heartache of dashed hopes, Unless you know the utter pain of despair, then yes, this passage is too drastic. But if you know those things, it's not too drastic at all. And if you don't know those things, meet Elijah. It should be equally startling and comforting to us, the reader, that in the New Testament, the book of James chapter five, James tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. That should startle us that this greatest prophet in Israel's history, like the dude, he's the guy that will be on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. He is, he is no one, no one had, a, he doesn't die. He rides a fiery chariot. And that man calls fire down on the mountainside. That man spiraling into depression and despair has a nature just like you. Can you relate to this man? Have you had a joyful season of ministry? Have you had seasons of feeling on top of the mountain and then in an instant wanted to be done? Thought about quitting? Despaired of your life? Elijah was a human being with a fickle and faint heart just like you. So if that's Elijah, let's see how the Lord deals with people like Elijah. Let's answer the question of the morning together. How does the Lord meet people like Elijah in their exhaustion? How does the Lord meet people like Elijah in their despair and give them rest? The promise of Matthew 11 that is the theme of the morning. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy, weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does he do it? How does the Lord give us rest? Well, the first thing that the Lord does is really easy to pass over but it's massively important for us to pause and take in. This is, this is where Elijah is. Opening of chapter 19, he's depressed, he's spiraling, he's exhausted, and we should not judge that. We should not uh, think ourselves better than that. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, but think about what, what this man's been through. Like any counselor in town, 
um, would say, he's been through a lot. He's probably had some like big T trauma. He watches fire rain down from heaven and then he watches hundreds of Baal prophets get slaughtered. That's trauma. And then he is on the run because there's a bounty on his head and he runs, he quits his job, big life transition, maybe a little you know, middle T trauma. And now he's running into the wilderness in total and utter isolation. There's a lot to carry. There's a lot. He's carrying a lot of things. He's exhausted and depressed. So two things that the Lord does for Elijah here. And the first one we can't pass over. The first is this. He lets Elijah be human. And then the second is he speaks to him. This is how the Lord gives us, gives Elijah rest. He lets Elijah be human and he speaks to him. So first, he lets Elijah be, Elijah be human. Look at verse five through seven with me again. Please don't pass over this. This is not just ancillary descriptions given to us of the scene. This is massively important. This is how the Lord is starting his care of Elijah in this state. It's how he's giving him rest. Verse five, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. Please do not miss how the Lord starts his care of Elijah. The angel of the Lord does not come to Elijah and see him sitting under this broom tree and go, hey, dude, wake up. Did you not just see the mountaintop? Did you not just see what God did? Why are you afraid of her? Oh, you of little faith, what are you doing here running away from this woman who you should not be afraid of? Where did your faith go, Elijah? Have I not proven myself enough to you, Elijah? He doesn't do any of that. What Elijah experiences first from the Lord, what the Lord starts his care of Elijah with is this, it's profoundly simple. He cooks for him. And then he tells him to take a nap, twice. He touches him, he dwells with him, he cooks for him, he is with him. The Lord does not start his care of Elijah by trying to fix him or addressing all of his deepest root issues. This is so tender of the Lord. This is so wise of the Lord. This is so what the modern day would call holistic caring of the Lord for Elijah. Because the Lord knows what we need sometimes the Lord doesn't jump straight into Elijah's soul and go five miles down and go, we gotta plumb out all of this. You gotta understand why you're doing this and you gotta understand your story and your history and you gotta, you gotta dive in and figure out all the angles and let's talk until we can't talk about it anymore and then well, let's talk about it some more again. And then, no, he, he doesn't start with any of that. The Lord knows Elijah is a human being. He lets Elijah be human. This is the Lord being the wonderful counselor that he is. He knows that Elijah is frail and fickle. He knows that Elijah is dust. He knows that Elijah is not just a soul with skin on. He knows he is a whole person. And he knows what he needs. 
He's not demanding that Elijah dive into everything right now. He's letting Elijah be human because that's what Elijah needs right now. And he's not judging him for it. He's actually helping him be human. He's actually letting the fickleness and the frailty and the finitude of Elijah be okay. He knows Elijah is body, soul, and spirit, and he needs multifaceted care. Do you know that sometimes when you are despairing, sometimes when you are depressed, what you really need is to be with someone and eat a good meal with them and not talk about any of the serious things in your life? Do you know what you need sometimes when you are depressed and despairing is a nap, maybe two. Tell your spouse it's biblical. Tell your kids it's biblical. That doesn't mean that this is the end of your issues. It doesn't mean that it will heal all of your heartache. It does mean it may be where you need to start. You may not need another five-hour soul-diving conversation if I could just get to the bottom of it and excavate everything about me. Like, what do you think you would find down there? Like, where is the bottom of that journey? Where, where, where actually is the end of that well? Where do you need to get to till finally if I could just understand everything? If I could just understand me and the people I'm dealing with and my job and my call and all the addictions and the idols and, how, and my Enneagram number and if I could just dive through it all, then I would find rest. What you may need is to be with someone. Let them touch you. That's what the angel of the Lord does here. Let them dwell with you. You may need to let someone serve you, make you some angel food cake. It's a low hanging fruit, but it's real. It's what, it's what the angel does here. Angel makes some cake. You, you may need to go to sleep and you may need a break from you. It's Psalm 127, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late eating the food of anxious toil. It's not just talking about physical labor. It's talking about like, hey, you, you might need like a soul break. You, you might actually need to quit talking about it and then re-talking about it and then re-obsessing over it and trying to figure it all out. You know what Psalm 127 says? He gives to his beloved full understanding of themselves. No. <laughs> he gives to his beloved sleep. You may need a break from you. You may need a break from your issues. And this, please understand, this is, this is like real care from the Lord. This is not like, can we just like hurry up and get through all this so that we can get to the real stuff? This is actually how the Lord starts his care for Elijah is in this way. You may need to hear this for you, we all in ministry certainly may need to hear this for the people we've been called to care for. <laughs> like this is, this is how the Lord cares for his people. This is how we care for people. So the Lord feeds and dwells with Elijah, feeds him, tells him to take two naps. And then we're told Elijah has the strength to get up. Where does he go? He travels for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, which many of you know, I'm sure, is Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. This is the place where Israel dwelled for a year when they got the Ten Commandments and the tabernacle instructions after they left slavery in Egypt. And, and it's, it's not 
it's not accidental. It's not ironic. This is so intentional of Elijah. Elijah's saying, hey, 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 a chapter before, Lord, you showed yourself to the people. You showed yourself to me. You showed yourself to everybody in the nation on Mount Carmel, but this isn't for all the people. This is for me. I need to go and meet with you. And the only place I know where you might be is Mount Sinai. This doubting prophet, this despairing prophet runs to Mount Sinai for rest. So this is the second thing the Lord does for Elijah in this scene at Mount Horeb at Mount Sinai. The first thing he does is he lets him be human and then the Lord speaks to him. And this is where this piercing question comes in. It's, it happens twice, same question from the Lord. What are you doing here, Elijah? And this is again another facet of the Lord's being, a Lord's uh, description of himself to be a wonderful counselor. Counselors know how to ask piercing questions This is what the Lord is doing. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a question loaded with love and care. And all of you know this, but the Lord never asks questions in Scripture to get information. (laughs) The Lord is not walking around Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and he bumps into Elijah like, what are you you doing here? I I didn't, like, this is where I am. I didn't know you were going to be here. (laughs) The Lord knows what Elijah is doing there. The Lord asks the question because Elijah doesn't know what Elijah is doing there. And Elijah needed someone to ask him, like reflect back to him, like a good counselor, like Elijah needed someone to ask him the question and then Elijah needed to hear himself say out loud the reasons why he was there. Because Elijah doesn't know why he's there. The Lord wants Elijah to admit what he's believing about himself and about the Lord. Again, not for the Lord's sake, but for Elijah's sake. See, because in Elijah's answer, what we'll see is we begin to see this toxic spiral of depression playing out. The Lord asks Elijah what he's doing there. And then look at verse 10 with me, Elijah's answer. And please listen for the presumed innocence of Elijah. Please listen to his inflated view of himself here. Verse 10, he said, I, I, I have been very jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts for the people of Israel have all forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now, part of that that he's giving a description of his perception of reality and some of that is true some of the description is true but let's rehear this let's re-diagnose here what Elijah is actually saying he has an incredibly high view of himself I'm, I'm, I'm the only I'm the only righteous one in Israel God and I'm all alone here in Israel because I've been, I've been too righteous for you, I guess. I've, I'm the only righteous one left in your country. And now I'm, I'm feeling all alone here. You, you wanna know what the problem? Yeah, you wanna, know what the, you wanna know what I'm doing here? You wanna know what the problem in Israel is? I'm too righteous. I'm too good for the people, I guess. I was the only one doing your work. My problem, God, is that I am too righteous. My problem, God, is that I am too zealous for you. My problem, God, is that I am zealous and no one else is. 
Remember, Elijah is a man with a nature just like ours. Ever feel like the only righteous person in your family? Ever feel like the only righteous person on your staff? Ever feel like the only righteous person in your world? Like, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. I guess the problem must be out there somewhere. The reason why I'm here isn't because of me, because look at all the things that I've done well. The problem here, the reason why I'm despairing, the reason why I'm exhausted, the reason why I'm empty is because I'm too good for everybody, I guess. It's always scary to know like which illustrations come to mind without thinking. Mine is usually the office. This reminded me of Michael Scott. Remember this scene where he hits Meredith with his car? <laughs> and he does one of the, you know, the little like solo monologue things and he says, yeah, guess what, I have flaws, what are they? Sometimes I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Sometimes I hit people with my car. Like he can't, he, he like can't see. <laughs> he goes, everyone in the car was fine, Stanley. Like he's, he's so trying. There's nothing wrong with him. That's what Elijah's saying. The problem here, Lord, is I'm righteous and no one else is. Everybody back home has left you and now Queen Jezebel's gonna kill me. It's over, God. The plan didn't work. Your plan didn't work. Mount Carmel didn't work. The work is over. The mission of God in the world has failed. I left my servant behind. I'm leaving the mission of God in the world, which means, God, your plan has failed. You failed, God, and it's not my fault. Please know one of the surefire tests to know just how exhausted you are is that you and I are in despair and the problems in our life are not our fault. If the only mentality you have about you and your problems and your exhaustion is that you are a victim, it probably means you're more tired and more despairing than you even realize. And then how that usually progresses, what we see Elijah doing here, how that usually plays itself out is, is we find ourselves in this self-righteous seat kind of above all the storylines. Like, I can see why they did that. I know, I know why they said that to me. I know why they went and talked to that person. I know why they texted me that. I know, I know why this is not working out. Like, you can see all the angles, but no one else can. You have a perfect understanding of the scenarios, but no one else does. This is why the Lord's question is so piercing. Because it cuts Elijah open where he has to verbalize why he thinks he's not doing well. I guess I'm too righteous. He has to admit in his pain and in his isolation, I guess I just, I think I'm just better than everybody. And so he has to spew out all of his self-righteous reasons why he thinks he is where he is. And please remember, the Lord does not need to hear it. Elijah does. And now that Elijah has spoken, and please, please don't miss this, this like timeline, the order of events here is so important and how the Lord cares for his people and how the Lord gives us rest. Now that Elijah has spoken, Please recap like the last 40 days. He's been on the mountaintop. He's been through a lot. 
He's watched people get slaughtered, had a bounty on his head. He's run. He's gone with the angel of the Lord, had someone dwell with him, feed him, let him get sleep. He's run to meet with the Lord. The Lord has asked him a question. It's only after all of those things does the Lord speak. It's really important because that, what that is saying and how that is coming through the story is that only after all of those things is Elijah ready to listen. Like we may not be able to actually hear from the Lord until we've experienced some of those other things. And if you can imagine Elijah standing in this cave on this mountain, feeling the weight of what he's feeling, feeling the exhaustion, feeling the isolation, spewing the self-righteous view of himself, now look at how the Lord comes to speak to him. Verse 11 and 12. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Elijah the man, who one chapter before this called down fire from heaven, would have totally expected the Lord to be speaking to him through all these other displays of the Lord's power and might, through the fire, through the tornado, through the earthquake, earth, wind, and fire. Not where the band name comes from, though. I looked it up. But it's, it's all, this, all this mighty display of the Lord's power. This man, Elijah, would have totally been assuming and presuming, if the Lord wants to speak to me, I've seen how the Lord speaks, that's how he speaks. But that's not how he comes to give Elijah rest. Lord can speak through those things. That's just not what he gives to this man in this place. That's not how he comes to heal Elijah. The Lord comes to speak to Elijah in a whisper. The same God who could show his power in any way that he wanted is now showing his tenderness in the whisper to Elijah. Elijah's greatest healing, Elijah's rest, had to come from God's word to him. And it came in a whisper. Do you know how close you have to like, actually be to somebody to hear them whisper to you? Do you know how intimate a whisper is do you know that you can shout to the masses, but you can only whisper to someone who literally cannot get any closer to you? And that unless you're creepy, you only whisper to people who you dearly love. <laughs> is it possible that the rest that you need is to hear the Lord speak to you in the most intimate of ways? And do you know that the whisper of God can only be heard if you are quiet? Can't hear a whisper if you're doing all the talking. Can't hear the whisper if you're surrounded by noise. Can't hear the whisper if there's too many other distractions causing the whisper to be drowned out. And you may be 
looking for God in the spectacular, in the earth, wind, and fire, in the displays of his power, and he can and does speak through those things. You may be looking for God to speak to you in grand ways and through mountaintop experiences, and you, it's okay to want those things, and the Lord certainly can speak through those things, but he may be trying to get as close as he possibly can to whisper to you. And if you're going to hear him whisper, you have to get really quiet. My prayer is that um, the Lord doesn't hold my hypocrisy against you this morning. I really struggle to get quiet. That's why I'm a preacher. I really struggle to settle the noise in here. It's hard to get quiet. It's hard for all, all the, the tapes, it's hard for the arrows of the enemy. It's hard to get really still. It's hard to get really quiet. It's hard for all the noise to get drowned out. And so when the noise doesn't drown out, guess what seems to um, not work so well, but I can believe that it might work as well. Maybe because I can't hear, it's not getting quiet. Maybe if I just run really fast, then all the noise will drown out. Maybe I'll move faster to hear from the Lord. If you're gonna hear, if I'm gonna hear the healing whisper of the Lord, we have to get really still and quiet. Did a study a year or two ago on the Lord naming himself uh, a shield. It's way more common than I realized in the Old Testament how the Lord names himself a shield. It's in, uh, in Abraham, it's in David, it's in Moses, it's all throughout the Psalms, the Lord calls himself a shield. And these shields in the ancient world were massive, they like protect like, an, like a battalion almost. And so for a, a, the user of the shield, for the Lord be saying, I am your shield, your very great reward. For the one to experience the beauty and the power of the Lord being their shield, guess what they have to do? With all the arrows flying, can't move. Can't poke out and see if like arrows are coming and where's the enemy. If the Lord's going to be your shield, you have to get really still. And here's the other painful thing. Gosh, I hate this. I hate this about this story, but it's in here, so I have to preach it. Here's what, here's what I hate about this story, about hearing the Lord's whisper. It may take you 40 days. Which is not like a magic number, like get quiet for 39 mornings in a row, and on morning 40, man, the whisper's gonna be. No, it means like a season. You may need an entire season of you showing up and waiting and getting quiet to hear from the Lord. And it may be a whole journey of a season through the desert and the wilderness of your own self-righteous spewing, of your own playing the victim, of your own blaming everybody else, of all the reasons why you can't get quiet. It may be a journey through the desert of that. And then the Lord may have to pierce your heart with a question when you are finally ready to hear it. But I promise you, I promise you standing on the power and the promise of God's word itself, if you get close enough for long enough, you will hear the Lord whisper to you. And then they finish their conversation. And I, <laughs> this is hard too. They finish their conversation by the Lord telling Elijah he's wrong about all of his narrative writing, about the storyline that he's written about his pain, about the storyline that he's crafted as to why he's in this place. The Lord tells him, Elijah, I love you. I'm whispering to you. I can't get any closer. And you're wrong. There are 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee. 
I need you to stand up. I need you to return home, shake the dust, and take your healed and rested heart and go back. And he does. He's healed. He's restored. He's rested. Rested enough to go back. Not from the earthquake, not from the tornado, not from the fire, not from the Lord booming down his voice to tell him to shape up. Elijah is healed from the tender whisper of God. God's word to Elijah was able to lift him up out of his despair, out of his self-righteousness, and send him back. The word of the Lord can heal you and give you rest. Can you hear him? And if you can't hear him, do you know the reasons why the noise is so hard to turn down for you? Do you know why your hands maybe are on the volume knobs turned up to 11 and you might be the reason, I know this is hard, you and I might be the reason why we can't hear. We might be creating some of the noise. But here's how I know that if we get quiet enough for long enough, the Lord will show up to speak to you. Here's how I can promise you that he is always speaking to you and you will never have a conversation with an absent father. It's that Jesus was ignored so that you and I will never be. Jesus was cast out so that you and I could be brought in. See, Jesus, unlike Elijah, Jesus really was the only righteous one in Israel. Jesus really was truly zealous and jealous, the only one for the Lord. But instead of using that position to condemn us, instead of using that position to blame us, instead of using that position to blame everybody else like Elijah, Jesus used that position to save us. That on Calvary where Jesus cried out for the Father for the first time since eternity passed, the Son was ignored by the Father. Jesus cried out and he didn't hear a whisper. He was forsaken. Jesus was actually caught up in the earthquake, the tornado, and the fire of God's wrath. And so because Jesus was forsaken, if you belong to him, the Father will never cast you out. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you fantasized about doing. I don't care how many times you've wanted to close up shop. I don't care all the self-righteous spewing and all the victim playing and all the reasons why you think all of your rest and all of your restlessness is not your fault. None of that could outdo what Jesus has done for you. He was cast out so that you could be brought in close enough to hear the whisper. So what are you doing here? And why do you think you are where you are? And do you know that in your despair there is a whisper that can heal you and give you rest? There's a voice that wants to bring you as close as he possibly can to whisper to you. Let's pray. Jesus, getting quiet is so hard, so hard. Because even in our solitude, the voices seem to get louder. 
and the enemy that has his arrows of shame and regret and despair and blame. They're pointed at our hearts, Jesus, and it feels so hard to turn them off. Would you hold us still behind the shield? That all the accusations that are hurled at us, we would quench the enemy's arrows with our shield of faith and we would stand still quiet enough and long enough to hear the whisper from our Father. We need rest, Jesus. The level of rest that only you and your whisper can give us. So would you do that for us? We beg of you. Let's call this in your precious and powerful name. Amen.